What a fantastic way to start the year together in the presence of God, amen, and in the Word of God. What a great way to be together. Greetings to everyone in Mount Pleasant and in Alma and in St. John's and to everyone online. Um, let me tell you exactly where we're going as we launch a brand new series, our first series for 2023. This series is about Jesus Christ. I warned you last week if you were here, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ. We're going to be worshiping Jesus Christ. We're going to be studying and learning about Jesus Christ. We're going to be obeying Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going to be diving into the Word of God together. All of that today and, and over the next three weeks is going to be around this idea of worship, your worship. You do it all the time that your worship would be so real, so authentic, and powerful uh, in your life. And there would come out of you this expression of genuine, authentic love and adoration for this King. And that as a church, that we would move towards um, what I believe would be biblical, biblical worship together. If there's anybody here, all campuses, would you just let me know if you believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise? Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm 1,000% I'm one, I'm convinced that he is simply worthy of all, all of my strength and my effort and my intellect and my, my emotions and my physicality, all of that given to him in honor and worship. And as a church, our job is not really necessarily to draw attention to ourselves or our church or our programs or people in our church. Rather, our, our job is to say, hey, world, look at Jesus. Isn't he amazing? To draw attention to him, to be a signpost that we would all simply point to him and say, look at the greatness of our God. Look at these words that come from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to say that last little line just one more time. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you are a treasuring creature. And so am I. Every single one of us, we are treasuring creatures. That is, as I read those words from Jesus, the first thing that just jumps off the page to me. When it comes to treasuring, the question is not if you will treasure something or someone. The question is, what will you treasure in your life? Because you will treasure something. Every one of us are treasuring creatures, and you're going to treasure something. What you treasure are those things in your life that you assign great value to them. This is important to me. This is very valuable to me. And then, as a result of that, you think about them a lot. You pay attention to those things that you say, that's valuable to me. You give it some time and some effort, and you hold those things dear, and you guard those things, and you sort of prize the things that you treasure. And then you arrange your life around whatever it is that you treasure. I'm going to obtain that, and I'm going to keep that, because it's important to me. I value that in my life. Everybody here has treasures. I want to read you a little story, and it's a little longer than I would typically put on a, in a sermon, but I think it's kind of worth it. It's a story about Robert Fulham, and uh, it's about this box that he has, and there's something in his box. This box contains some odds and ends of personal treasure that I have kept and have survived for many years. This box has passed through many a screening as I've moved from one state to another or one house to another. It has put, been put in the garage or on the shelf, or it's been hauled from one attic to another attic. This box is always going to come with me. 
if a thief found this box, I don't think he'd take it. I don't think he'd get a dime for it. But if the house ever catches on fire, I'm grabbing this box and I'm running out the door. One of the keepsakes in the box is a small paper bag, the kind that you would put your lunch in. And though the top is sealed carefully with duct tape and staples and several little clips, there's a huge ragged rip right down the side of this brown paper bag, so you can see everything that's inside of it. This particular lunch sack has been in my care for many, many years, but you see, it really belongs to my daughter, Molly. Soon after she came of school age, she became the enthusiastic participant in the packing of lunches every morning for herself, but she enjoyed it so much, she did it for her brothers, and she did it for me as I went to work. Every bag got a share of sandwiches or an apple or a bit of milk money. Sometimes there'd be a little bit of a note or a treat in there. Well, one morning, Molly hands me not one bag, but two bags. Just as I'm about to leave, my regular lunch sack and the one that had the duct tape and the staples and the paper clips on top. Why two bags, I asked. The other has something else in it. Well, what's in it? It's just some stuff, Dad. Take it with you. Not wanting to hold court over the matter, I stuffed both sacks into my briefcase, kissed the child, and I rushed off to work. Midday came along, and I hurriedly scarfed down my lunch, and I tore open Molly's bag, and I shook out all of the contents. Are you ready? Two hair ribbons, three small stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, two animal crackers, a marble, a used lipstick, a small doll, and two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. I smiled. It's kind of charming, isn't it? Then I rushed on towards the continued hustle and bustle of the afternoon and meetings that I had. And so I simply took my desk and I swept everything clean into the garbage. My leftover lunch, Molly's junk, everything. There wasn't anything there that I needed. That evening, Molly came to stand beside me and while I was reading the paper, where's my bag? What bag? You know the bag I gave you this morning. I left it at the office. Why? Well, Dad, I forgot to give you this note that I wanted to put in it. So she hands over the note to me. Besides, I want it back. Why? Well, those are my things in the sack, Daddy. Those are the ones that I really like. I thought you might want to play with them, but now I want them back. You didn't lose the bag, Daddy, did you? Tears puddled in her eyes. No, I replied, lying through my teeth. Well, bring it tomorrow, okay? Sure thing, don't worry. She hugged my neck. I looked a long time at the face of my child. She was right. What was in that sack was something else. You see, Molly had given to me her treasures. When you deal with somebody else's treasures, you become very close to them. And all of that seven-year-old held dear and loved was in a paper bag. And I missed it. Not only did I miss it, but I threw it into the garbage because there wasn't anything I needed. It was not the first or the last time that I felt like my daddy permit was about to run out. It was a long trip back to the office that evening, but there was nothing else to be done. So I just went right in, and I got there just before the janitor, and I picked out of the waste paper basket, and I poured the contents onto my desk, and I was sorting it all out when the janitor came into my office to do his chores. Lose something? Yes, I said, my mind. 
It's probably in there somewhere. I'll help you find it, he said. I couldn't feel like any more of a fool than I already was. I told him the story, and he laughed, and he smiled. I got kids too, and so a brotherhood of fools searched through the trash and found these jewels, and he smiled at me, and I smiled at him. After washing the mustard off the dinosaur and spraying the whole thing with breath freshener to kill the smell of onions, I carefully smoothed it out and wadded the, the wadded brown paper bag into a semi-functional bag, and I put the treasure back inside, and I carried the whole thing home gingerly like an injured kitten. Well, the next evening, I returned it to Molly. No questions asked, no explanations given. The, bad, the bag didn't look so good, but the stuff was all there, and that's what counted. After dinner, I asked her to tell me about the sack of stuff. So she took it all out one piece at a time and she placed the objects in a long row on our dining room table. It took some time to tell because every single little piece had a story. There was a memory attached to it or a dream or there were imaginary friends or apparently fairies had brought some of the things to her and these were actually chocolate kisses that I had given to her and she was keeping them for a special occasion. I managed to see, I managed to say, hmm, I see. Several times as she was telling me the story, but to my surprise, Molly gave me the bag several days later once again. The same ratty bag with the same stuff inside. I felt forgiven and trusted and loved. I felt a little bit more comfortable wearing the title of father. Over several months, the bag went with me from work to time to time. It was never clear why I did or did not get this bag on any given day. I began to think of it as a daddy prize, and I tried to maybe behave myself even better the night before so that I could get the bag. In time, Molly turned her attention towards other things, and she found other treasures. And she lost interest in the game. She grew up or something. Me, I was left holding the bag. She gave it to me one morning, and she never asked for it again. And so I have it still. And sometimes I think of all the times in the sweet life when I've missed the treasure that I have been given. So the worn paper sack is there in my box, left over from a time when a child said, here, this is the best that I've got. Take it. It's yours, such as I have. I give it to you. I missed it the first time. I'll never miss it again. It's a charming little story, isn't it? Certainly a little sentimental. Please don't miss the point. And what I would say to you is this. You have, as it were, your own little brown bag. You do. And you have placed something inside of it. And it is what is most important to you. It is what you treasure. Maybe it is your house or your car. Maybe it's jewelry. Maybe it's your 401. Maybe it's the money in your bank account. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your accomplishments. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your accolades. Or maybe it's your clothes. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's beauty. Perhaps it's expensive. It's worth a lot of money. Perhaps it's not worth much at all to anyone else but you. But I'm telling you this. You have your own bag. And Jesus says to you today, be really careful what you put inside that bag. Because whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart will go. That will be the direction of your entire life. That will be what drives you, perhaps even consumes you. Your treasure will actually shape you into the person that you become. 
A very fascinating scripture in the Old Testament, Psalm 115. Look at this. Look at what's in their brown bag. But their idols, their gods, what's most important, their idols are silver and gold, and it's made by human hands. But look at this. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Fascinating little scripture of what these people have built and what they have put in this brown bag, what they have elevated and put on a pedestal, what is most important and their life is moving towards. And then it says this at the end of the scripture. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. You will become a soundless, sightless, deaf, mute all your senses will be eradicated if you chase after this God. You will be like the thing you treasure. The Bible says you will become like the God that you worship. Wow. Who is the God that you worship? Who are you going to become like? When you worship, when you treasure, you are determining your values. This is so important about worship. When you worship, you are declaring, this is what's important to me. These are my priorities. What you're saying is, this is what gets first place in my life, and I am going to be shaped by what gets put first in my life. So if you worship money, you will be shaped by greed. If you worship power, and you've seen this before, you've seen people, they are shaped by arrogance. It's not very nice to be around. If you worship comfort, you will be shaped by apathy and laziness. I'm saying this, and you know people, and you're like, that's them. That's what they worship. If you worship appro approval, you will become a chameleon. You will be lost in yourself. If you worship achievement, you will become a user of people, a user even of your own very friends. If you worship your children, you will become a vending machine. If you worship your children, you will become a codependent vending machine. If you worship Amazon, you will become a financial slave with a pile of garbage. If you worship food, you will be sick, physically ill. If you worship your youth or your looks, you will eventually be disappointed and broken. And so Jesus says, you ought to be really careful about what you treasure, what you put in that bag, because it will shape you. It will shape your heart. It will shape the direction and the course of your life and the kind of person that you become. Therefore, the most important commandment, and this is a whopping statement, the most important commandment in all of history for the human race is the commandment that you treasure God above everything and everyone. The most important commandment. And as we devote ourselves to biblical worship, particularly in this series over this next three weeks, I want you to listen to these two juggernaut verses. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That is a juggernaut scripture. Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Big statements. When we worship, we stand before God. And what we say is, you are of ultimate value and importance in my life. 
here's my bag. God, I have filled it with such junk. I have filled it with such trinkets and treasures and things that honestly distract me and they allure me, they draw me in a certain direction. And I lay that at your feet because none of that, none of it compares to the honor and the glory and the worth and the value of my Savior Jesus Christ. There's no touching you. And we worship God with our lives. This sermon, and next week and the following week, we'll get into this idea of like corporate worship when we come together and there's a gathering and then individual worship when we, when we just privately and personally worship God. But today, this is not about Sunday morning or hymns or Christian radio. It's not about music. It's not about those kinds of words. This is about the 30,000 foot view of worshiping God with the entirety of your life. We recognize the broader biblical implication that even the entirety of creation will cry out worship to its God, that the heavens declare His glory, that our very lives are to be a reflection of His greatness, that we as image bearers of God, that we show the world the one that we worship. Isaiah 29, here's the problem with all of this worship and the challenge in it for every one of us. This verse actually is scattered all over the Bible. Because this people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips. But look at it. But the truth is, their hearts are actually very far away from me. And so it's altogether possible to say, this is what I treasure, but it's not the case. These people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts, what they treasure, that's far from me. Very possible that we can say, no, this is what is my priority. This is what is of ultimate importance. This is what I value. This is what I treasure. But in truth, we're treasuring something else entirely. And this is core to what it means to worship God with your life. So how do you know? How would you know today if you are worshiping God with your life? Or... Are you just giving lip service? And the truth is, you're worshiping something or someone else. Well, here's how I think you can know that you're worshiping God with your life. I think the answer can be summed up with one single word, and it is this word, sacrifice. I think that might be a very, very accurate word to answer that question. How do I know? The thing that you treasure, I promise you this, you will sacrifice for it. The thing that's important to you, you will go to lengths, difficult lengths. You want money? You want stuff? You'll sacrifice for it. You want achievement or promotion? You know what you need to do, and you will make that sacrifice. That which you worship, that which you treasure above all else, not just with your lips, you will give up for you will take it on the chin so that you can have that. You will pour yourself out to gain that. You will make those sacrifices and you will do it day in and day out because sacrifice is the language of worship. Sacrifice is the language of love. So it brings us to a really serious question. You've got to ask it of yourself. What do I sacrifice for? Now actually, would you mind just pausing there for a moment and just giving that a second? What do I sacrifice for? Just reflect on that for a moment. What are the things in my life right now that I say, no, 
I will give and pour in and invest all my time, effort, energy, and intellect, thinking, resources, because I want to have and, can, and obtain and keep. And What does that look like for you? This series is a 30,000-foot view. How do I worship God with my entire life? Actually, God answers that question directly. Romans chapter 12. How do I worship God with my entire life? This is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual what? It's your spiritual worship. There's the scripture right there. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, that's actually a reference to the Old Testament. Actually comes from centuries prior. It was actually still going on during the ministry of Jesus Christ, but it's a real reference to the Old Testament, which was known as the sacrificial system. Now, here's this word again, sacrifice. This was the temple. And what would people do? Man, God, they would say, God is so important to me. I'm going to take that which costs me. And they would take an animal, and they say, I'm going to lay this down on an altar, and I will destroy this. I will, I will bring death and sacrifice and bloodshed, and I'm going to bring that to God as an act of worship. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and he says, actually, I'm changing all of that. I'm canceling what you have known for centuries as a sacrificial system in the temple. I'm going to change all of that, and I'm going to come, and Jesus says, I will lay myself down on this altar, and my blood will be shed, except here's the difference. My sacrifice, my language of love to you, will be once and for all. It will be sufficient. It will be enough for every one of your lives. And so now Paul says, and that's Romans, well, do you want to know what you can do about that? I want you to respond with worship. We don't need animals anymore. We don't need a sacrificial system. We don't need to go to a temple. How about we put you on the altar? What? <laughs> yep. How about we take all of your desires and ambitions and we lay you on the altar as an act of worship for your God? This is a biblical description of a life of worship. What if your Monday morning looked like you getting up on an altar, a life of worship? What if tomorrow morning you got up and you said, the way that I live my life today, all that I do and say is just going to declare big picture that you are the most important thing, your ultimate priority, number one. What if I got up on Monday morning and I said, see, this is where it's more than just a song or a lyric or a hymn or, or a music or a Sunday morning experience. What if I got up on Monday morning and the way I treat people declares the greatness of God who made them in his image? That's a life of worship. That's you getting up on an altar and saying, I'm laying down my preference in terms of the way I want to treat people, the way I want to speak to people sometimes? No. I lay that on the altar because now this is a life of worship. How about you get up on a Monday morning and you say, okay, the way I raise my children, I will not pull my hair out today 
or the way I work for my employer will display that he is the greatest value in my life. He is my God and my king. That's a different way to start your day, isn't it? That's a different way to get out of bed. Think about getting out of bed and saying, I'm putting myself on the altar. That's getting up in the morning and making sure that your worship is not lip service. Today I recognize that I become a whole lot like the things I worship. Today I recognize that I become a whole lot like the things that I treasure. And you don't want to know what I want to be like? I want to be like Jesus Christ. So I will worship Jesus Christ. Today I recognize that I pour my greatest intellect, energy, and soul into those things that I put into my bag, my treasures. And you wake up and say, well then, as for me today, I will worship God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. Start your day by saying, okay God, I'm placing my will, my struggle with sin, my possessions, my desires, my relationships, I'm putting them all on the altar. It's not mine anymore. I'll regard this day in my life as a sacrifice offered up to God as I bow down and I worship you today. All of those things that want to distract me and allure me and pull me in different directions, I place them at your feet and I bow down before them and I lay them on the altar and I sacrifice them. I slaughter them because nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the one that I want to be like. My life will be worshiping you, Jesus Christ. You get out of bed and you say, today, you will be my greatest treasure. In the Old Testament, they'd put that animal on the altar and they'd kill the animal. Guess what the animal would do? It would stay there. Do you know what our problem is with being a, and this is what Paul called it in Romans, a living sacrifice? <laughs> I'm going to say this and you're going to go, oh, yes, this is so true of me. We get up in the morning, we say, okay, God, I will worship you with my life. Here it is. I'm on the altar. I'm slaying my desires and my trinkets and my treasures because I'm going to worship you with the way that I, I raise my children, how I treat people, how I speak, how I represent you, all of it. And then after five minutes, you're like, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable here. A dead animal can't get off the altar, but guess what a living sacrifice can do? I think I've had enough of that, thank you very much. I'm just going to get off this altar, I'm going to back away. Maybe I'll come back and do that sometime, but you know what? i got stuff to do. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. This week you will get off the altar. Would you be prepared for that moment today? That every one of us will do that, probably this week. God, please forgive us for putting other things ahead of you. Amen? And then you simply return and say, Lord, once again, my life, a living sacrifice. And then once again, you come back and you go, oh, I got off the altar. Lord, once again, my life, a living sacrifice. As we begin this series on worship, here's the starting block for us. Today, this week, a living sacrifice, making moments of our life, worship on the altar. Church, wouldn't you agree that he is worthy of all praise and all glory? I've got to ask the question again. Church, give me a response. Wouldn't you agree that he's worthy of all praise and all honor? Amen. We will worship him with our lives. We're going to come to the table of the Lord right now. The place where we remember the sacrifice that he made. We're going to come before our God who said, I will, take place, I will take the place of the sacrificial system 
and I will lay my life down. The one who said, I will take on flesh and blood with the intent that that flesh and blood will be broken and shed. If you're a follower of Christ, I would invite you to participate in communion right now. We have little cups that have a little wafer and a little juice in there. And could I invite you to take them out and maybe just hold on to them for a second. And what I want to ask us to do is just to worship God for a moment. And as we worship, would you come before God and remember what He did for you? Would you come and repent of all the times where you get off the altar and you say, Lord, I, I don't want to worship you. I want to worship something else. Would you bring that before God today as you recall His sacrifice for you? Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Would you perhaps just close your eyes, come before the Lord, and we'll worship together.